Welcome to Perspectives, a podcast by Essence Learning LLC, and a place where leaders learn from leaders. Let's join today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to our Perspectives by Essence Learning. This podcast is very exciting today. I'm glad you joined us today. We have the opportunity to meet and discuss um, keys to successful executive leadership. Keys to successful executive leadership. And we have just the person for this discussion. We have an executive coach and a leadership uh, expert and an author in in the person of Drew T. Jackson. Welcome, Drew. Thank you for having me, Valerie. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I've been waiting for the opportunity to sit down with you and to learn more about this book that I've been reading. Uh, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna talk too much about it because I'll share all of your your keys and your tips, but I'm gonna let you have that opportunity to share about okay. that. But talk to us a little bit, Drew, about that executive leadership handbook that you've written. Yeah, so I wrote the book, uh, just like it says, like a handbook. So just like your car has a manual or a handbook. Um, in the in the glove compartment there. Uh, and if you run into a problem with your vehicle, you see a light, you don't know what's going on in the car, you reach to that handbook and you find that sensor and you figure out what's going on. And that's how I wrote the book is if leaders are facing a challenge, whether it's in communication, organizational leadership, or they're really their mindset, um, they can look in the table of contents of my book, find the chapter that speaks about that, read about three pages or so, and then they can uh, put into practice the tips that are in the back of the chapter. So uh, it was really written for, for the person that doesn't like to read. And so, uh, <laughs> so it's really easy to read, really, really easy to put into practice. That's that just-in-time learning, right? So it's, I, I can use it as soon as I read it, um, unless it's a mechanical problem, right? And you have to take it to a mechanic. And maybe we'll have to come to you as an executive coach, say, hey, I read this in your book. I understand that, but now I need a little bit more uh, support. Yeah. So tell me about what you do as an executive coach. Is that mechanic that I'm going to come to after I maybe have read some of the, your manual? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've thought about um, uh, about marketing myself at times as, uh, you know, I work with high capacity jerks. Because <laughs> many times if I'm coming into an organization, um, I'm, I'm working with someone that is great at getting results for the organization but the organization is losing people, right? Because nobody wants to work for them and, and they have to, to work on those soft skills. And so uh, many times that happens in an organization and that's why I'm brought in to, to work with them. Other times, um, you know, it's that regular maintenance. If we're going to keep that car analogy going, you know, sometimes uh, the best thing you can do for your car, the best thing you can do for your organization is to be proactive in your leadership development and have ongoing coaching with your team so that they can learn the skills before they need the skills. Because when that opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare, right? We know that coach wouldn't taught us that. So, so we want to make sure many times with teams that uh, we, they bring someone like myself, someone like you and your team into the organization to do some training on the front end so that people can be equipped and ready to face the challenges or the opportunities that may arise. Yeah, that's that's great uh, analogy for, you know, you have in both scenarios, right? A, a proactive and a reactive approach. Um, and then to th- think through that people are coming from this with the need to be successful. You have to be able to manage the business and manage people, right? So you have to be task-oriented or business-oriented, um, process-oriented. And then you have to have that humanity side, people-oriented. 
uh, focused on what the needs of the people in the workforce are. So for us leaders who are trying to make that balance, what advice do you offer us? Um, You talked about that, that, you know, I'm coming in and and I'm good at my job. I was promoted because I'm good at my job and effective, but now I've got this group of people that I've got to either influence to get the work done uh, through them or with them. Can you give us a little advice? Uh, I know it's just free counseling coaching right now. (laughs) Just give us a little advice on how to balance those two things. Most definitely. I think the first thing is to recognize that you probably land on one side or the other. Mm -hmm. So um, the analogy of someone trying to um, get on a, I don't know, one of my professors in college did this analogy, but you, you try to get on the horse and you fall over into one ditch and then you try to get back on the horse and then you fall over into the other ditch. And many times that's, that's what we are. And we all start off in kind of one ditch. We're really good at tasks and getting stuff done and checklists and being effective at our job as an individual contributor, but we're not good working with other people or we're really good working with other people, but we're not organized like we need to be so that we can get work done. So the first thing to do is really just to reflect and ask yourself that question. Um, and if you're if you're really bold, uh, Valerie, you know, this is the question I tell my clients to ask, you know, their spouse or, or a good friend, ask the question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And then just shut up, right? And listen for the response. Don't try to uh, uh, make excuses for whatever they say, just listen. So ask that question, what's it like to be on the other side of me so that you can determine, am I more of a task oriented person or am I more of a people oriented person? And then based on that, um, the answer to that question, now you can take action in the area um, that you need to work on. If it's communication, there's no shortage of communication books out there. Um, if you can read a book, you can watch episodes of, of this podcast and find out more about communication. You can go to YouTube. You can find a mentor, mm. someone in or around your life that is good at communication while wow, they got the soft skills going on. And then you take them to lunch, you take them to breakfast and you listen to what they have to say and then you put it into practice. Um, so so those are some of the things. If you're more, uh, you need to get better in the task oriented side, there's plenty of books, there's systems that you can learn about that you can put into practice. Once again, you can find a mentor, you can watch YouTube videos so that you can get better in that task oriented side of the mm-hmm. business to make yourself a more well-rounded, um, fully formed, fully developed leader. And so uh, what I've found in my experience, people lack the people side because, yeah. you know, we, we, if they're elevated to a leadership role at that stage, they tend to lack the people side um, because once again, they were elevated because they could get results uh, like we talked about earlier. Um, but now they have to get results through others. And we're all a um, product of our home environment. We're a product of the major influences around our life. And if we weren't taught healthy communication in the home, then what do we have to draw upon? Unless we've received coaching, we've read books, we've developed ourselves and, and made an effort to do that. So um, you've, you run into that a lot in the workplaces. People need to work on that uh, people side, communication side, understanding others, having empathy and, uh, and focusing in on that. Thank you for that. And, and I was just thinking through the, the advice and the tips that you were giving and you started with self-awareness. You know, you have to get that self-awareness and it's not just you saying, reflecting inwardly, you suggest that we go out and ask someone, what, yeah. what is it like to be 
influenced by me one way or the other, whether that's good or bad, yeah. right? So I, I, I love that reflection piece when, because sometimes when you say reflect, we often think inward and we answer our own questions and we have our own reasoning and, and we walk away pretty much okay after we've done the reflection. Oh, I'm okay. I, I can understand that. But when you ask someone else and you use the word bold, uh, to boldly stand there and say, hey, ask that question and then to stop and listen, that was the other piece. So that self-awareness to listen to what's being told. And then you mentioned taking action. Um, so when we think about taking action and understanding that um, I'm going to shift, if, if, if I'm really going to change, then I'm going to have to shift, right? I need to move from the current mindset that being task-oriented is what's going to make me effective. But to understand now that I've got to shift to the mindset that if I fall off into this ditch, then I've got to get back on the horse. And then I may fall off on the other side, but I got to get back up on the horse. So I like those analogies. Can you give us just a little bit more into when I'm challenged by those falling off the horse and getting back up? What are some of the things that I need to do to keep myself motivated to get back up on there and not fall back? And I'm sure you've seen this, fall back into my old comfortable ways. I can be okay after I self-reflect okay, this is, I, I'm, I was successful and, and task-oriented. Now, this thing that Drew's talking about, getting people-oriented and thinking about people and influence, I'll just tell them what to do. They'll get it done because I'm now the boss. How do you yeah. help me with, with that whole, I fell off on the wrong side of the horse and now I'm in the other, other on the ditch. How do I get back up on the horse? Yeah, yeah. So I think you have to have a big goal, right? You have to have a big reason. Why are you doing this? Why do you want to change? Um, ultimately, where are you trying to go? Is it that there's opportunities within the organization that you're in? Um, are you the uh, the owner of a company and you have recognized there is a lid on your organization and it's you, right? Um, and you've you've identified the enemy and you found out it's you, right? And you are the one holding back your organization. And so your organization is only going to go as far as you. And it's funny, my friend, a uh, good friend of mine uh, does training around the different stages of growth within organizations, all the way from you know zero to uh, hundreds. He's he's focused on small businesses, but the stages of growth, you'd be amazed, Valerie. They have nothing to do with revenue, and they have everything to do with employee headcount. That because the more people you add to organization, the more complicated it gets. Okay. So maybe you're there and you're in your organization. You're saying, I don't know if I want to change, and then you realize wait, I'm the one holding back our organization or my department. And so I have to change. I've received the feedback. And what we have to remember with feedback, because we can tell ourselves a story, right? We can say, well, I didn't mean to hurt their feelings. I just did hurt their feelings, but I didn't mean to. Well, all of us um, judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. Right. And so so I don't know what your intention is, what your heart intention is. I don't have the ability to read your mind or understand your heart in that way. All I know is what you actually did. And that's what I judge you by. But we walk around going, but that's not what I meant to do. I didn't mean to hurt them, but you did. And so we have to recognize that if, if we've caused a problem, we've caused um, hurt within our organization, among our team, or we've lost valuable team members because of how we treated them. We were too task oriented and they felt like they were treated like a robot or a machine within the organization. We have to recognize that it doesn't matter if that was our intention, if that was our desire to do that. Um, the reality is that is what they received 
And so we have to work to change that perception within the organization through changing our actions um, and, and getting a track record of success in that way. So that should be your motivation. Either I don't want to experience this negative or I want to experience the, the positive that is ahead of me. Wow, I, that was that was really awesome. And as I was thinking through, I'm just kind of racing along with you, tr- trying to make sure that I'm hearing and and actually learning uh, as I'm going through this. And I want to make sure that our learners here as well that you talked about motivation. Uh, we have to have the motivation to overcome those barriers. And as you mentioned, that barrier could easily be me as the leader um, for success because it's not that we don't know how to do the work as, as employees or we don't know what's expected. Sometimes we don't, but for the most part, we, we're pretty wise and intelligent employees, right? We come to work, we understand what our jobs are, we understand how to do that, but those barriers sometimes are those relationships within the workplace. I don't feel valued, I don't feel heard, I don't feel understood, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not able to contribute. All of those things that are impacting uh, my my employee engagement, my employee satisfaction. And so as a talent, I may want to go somewhere else, right? I don't want to stay here because this leader is not, is a barrier to my, my, my success, therefore a barrier to the success of the organization. So as we start to think about that, we have people who are quiet quitting. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they, you know, you've heard about that term where people either stay at work and they just do what's you know, what's required, that bare minimum. They don't give that discretionary effort. They don't go above that. And that's been rising uh, from statistics over the last couple of years where people are just doing that. How do um, leaders, particularly executive leaders, um, you know, I know those mid-levels and executive leaders, I think those frontline leaders are kind of in the trenches too and need need to have uh, an answer sometimes to how do I stop this quiet quitting? How do I motivate my team? How do we help them to overcome that? And how do we understand when we have, how do we recognize, I should say, when we have those quiet quitters within our teams and how do we help them? Yeah. So I think when, when it comes to the quiet quitting or, or not um, going above and beyond, uh, like we would maybe want uh, people in our organization to do, I think one thing that we can do is really focus on engagement. How am I engaging? How am I making them feel a part of what we're doing here? Because I I think naturally, and coming from a nonprofit background, naturally when people feel a part of something, a part of a solution, a part of something bigger than themselves, then then they're more willing to give um, of their time, of their energy, of their effort, of that discretionary time. We all have that, that discretionary time, that discretionary energy within our work week. And, uh, and, and so getting people involved, with that, I'll, I'll give you a, a very quick example. Yesterday I was working with a staff team who is just getting re- reintegrated back into the office and they wanted to do some training. Um, I've worked with them for years, so I know the team very well, but they're getting back into the office. So I'm back doing in-person training with them and so on and so forth. And one of the things they want to do is really, hey, let's talk about, you know, what's office etiquette? You know, it's been a couple of years since we've been in the office. What does that look like today? What, how, do, how do we interact? I've been used to, you know, working from home, going to my microwave, heating up whatever I want to, making some popcorn, you know, um, all these pet peeves that can happen uh, within an organization. And, and we've got to realize and recognize this is what I told them. I said, look, we're all coming from our own homes and what's acceptable in our home and, and how different people talk to each other differently and, right. and um, you know, leaving the kitchen a certain way or, or a, a level of messiness is okay. in some households, that's totally fine. That's, that's 
your home. But now we're, we're kind of cohabitating, so to speak, being back in the office space, we're working together and there are some social norms that we need to discover and, and define. And what we did is instead of having the C-suite, the C-suite was in the room, but instead of having the C-suite um, come up with all these rules, they could have done an easy search online. They could have um, talked to me. I could have put together a list for them on the top 10 based on research, based on articles, based on best practices, and just giving them a list. And they could say, I hereby dictate these are the rules, right? But instead of doing that, we did something kind of scary to people that are in the C-suite. I said, you know what we're going to do here today? And I, I, I put this together through the, through the uh, COO and the CEO found out while we were there what we were doing. But he <laughs> trusts me. We've worked together for a long time. But I said, what we're going to do is we're going to create the rules together as a group. And everybody's going to participate. Everybody's going to come up with about five rules themselves, write them down on a note card, talk to their neighbor about them, and then pass them up anonymously. And the ones that rise to the top, and then we're going to go through this entire list, and we're going to figure out which ones are being mentioned the most, which ones do we think should make the list. And um, and I said, let's try to come up with five to eight. Well, they came up with 13, but, but it was actually pared down a, a lot. But what did that do? I got some feedback today. The team had a blast doing it. What did they do? They got their team engaged in solving problems. It wasn't, here's the solution that we're dictating to you, do this. Um, they could be, I could have come up with the exact same list of um, etiquette, because it was like, don't cook stinky food, clean up in the common area after yourself, you know, it was simple stuff like that. Could have come up with that list on my own, but it's different when the team gets to engage, they get to debate, they get to laugh about kind of the quirky things that they do. And they get to understand, hey, this is important to my fellow coworker. I'm going to give that extra effort to um, make for a great work environment. And I think when you do those types of things, it spreads out. That, that's not a um, uh, work product type uh, uh, topic right there. That, that's not going to affect their work product but it is going to affect the environment that they're getting that work done in, which ultimately will affect the work product and how effective and efficient they can be at their job. So that's just a little way that the C-suite can get engaged, be in that room and argue. And listen, the C-suite maybe had one or two of their list that made it. I know whose list was whose, but, but everybody else, by and large, it was the staff that came up with that list, which I think is very powerful. How empowering. Yes, that's empowering too. Um, and as we think about uh, under the podcast that we have, we talk about goal setting and and we talk about visions and how do we get people involved in organizations to set those goals and to be a part of that vision. Part of that is what you just said. You have got to be able to allow people to contribute to the vision. Uh, mm -hmm. You can set the vision and cast the vision, but people have to be able to feel it's a part Part, they need to be able to see it, right, and contribute to it. So just the the, the things that we may seem think is simple, mm -hmm. uh, cafeteria etiquette and work etiquette, but your point is, well, what may, we're all coming from different places, and that looks and feels a lot different for many of us, what etiquette yeah. means. And now that things have shifted and changed so much in the workplace, who knows what that looks like now, right? Totally different. Yeah. Drew, what I love about you and, 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 and the tips that you're providing for us today is everything has that effective questioning. You're starting off with a question. You ask questions to understand um, a little bit more. So that effective questioning techniques, can you tell us, you know, I'll share with you a story that um, I, I do effective questioning technique. Well, I, I learned how to do effective questioning techniques. I 
started off just asking questions to get understanding because I needed to have clarity. I didn't ask questions in order to broaden perspectives all the time. So it was just like I was trying to ask questions to, okay, so why are we doing this? And what is that so that I can help solve the problem? But now I've learned how to ask questions so that we can broaden perspectives to get people to think a little bit different uh, about their certain situation, just like you did. Uh, So let's talk about what are some of the things we, you know, we're coming into this environment. What's changing? Uh Oh, I'm going to knock things over. So tell us a little bit about how to hone in or to uh, improve our questioning techniques, because everything that you've taught us so far, you've started off with asking a question to gain more awareness and understanding. So how do you, what's, what's the, what's the secret sauce there? Yeah, you know, it's funny because one of my most um, watched, consistently watched videos is how to ask open-ended questions on my YouTube channel. And it's asked, it's viewed every day. Um, I don't have a huge channel, but that's consistently one of the top viewed videos on my channel. And I think people are hungry to understand uh, how to ask those questions because once again, they're open-ended. So when you think about an open-ended question, it doesn't end in a yes or a no, right? It ends in uh, the person has to explain, to further explain. And you you brought up a great point about asking a question instead to understand, which is great. And, and we need to do that to understand the situation. But when you talk about broadening perspectives or helping helping someone gain insight on their own, kind of have that epiphany moment through a question, a great question that a leader can ask one of their team members after a situation, it could be a positive, but mostly this works in a, in a negative situation. Let's say they tried something, it didn't work, or um, they're in your office because they, um, you know, had an argument with, with another uh, coworker. Mm -hmm. You ask this question, what were you, what were you trying to uh, help me understand? I like to kind of soften it that way. Help me understand what were you trying to accomplish by doing that? And then just let them respond because instead of saying, why did you do that? Why would you ever do that? Right? Why would you think that's okay? Which that's, I'm, I'm telling you, that's my natural, that's my nature, right? Is to, is to, is to do that, but that's aggressive. That is accusatory and it puts a person on the defense instead what we want to do is we want to ask that question, what were you hoping to accomplish? And that can get down to the root of, oh, you know what? I was really just trying to get under their skin. I, I wasn't trying to do anything productive, right? Um, and and you, they have to come to terms with, I phrased it that way. I did what I did because I was getting back at them for what they did to me. Okay, now that you've acknowledged that and we understand that that's not healthy, Now let's change our behavior. So yeah, yeah, recognizing the questions that you ask, you don't want them to be able to answer in a yes or a no. um, And you want to um, ask that, what were you trying to accomplish through that? And and kind of understand and uncover a layer of where they were coming from and what they were thinking. Uh, I've got a friend, a great uh, emotional intelligence guy. And he says, you know, why did you say what you said when you said it? Um, why did you do what you did when you did it? And uh, why did you think what you thought when you thought it, right? And that, that just makes you go. It's kind of a little gymnastics in your brain. But if you can go back to that moment and what was going on in that moment in the background of your mind, you're going to get 
uh, a lot of, like we talked about earlier, self um, uh, awareness through that process. And then it's just a matter of self-regulation after that mm -hmm. and being able to discipline yourself to uh, respond in an appropriate manner in those situations. So, so yeah, that's, that. questions that, are great. That kind of takes us to another full circle for part of our discussion when we started off talking about intent versus impact. That's not what I intended to happen. And as you ask that type of a question, and I'm trying to understand the, the whole context in which this occurred, now I can see the intention. And um, we can now speak about the impact because now we've shared what that real intention is, whether it was a negative or a positive. But um, sometimes I even have to walk myself back to understand what my intentions were. I, I wasn't thinking about that or I didn't know. OK, well, I didn't, you know. And so those questions even help me to discover. But it also helps me to articulate um, what my intention was um, and then to better understand, well, you know, that's how that came across. And that's you, you, if you were uh, had no goodwill um, and, and it, it came across that way, then, you know, what, what's the next step? But if I didn't mean that to be uh, anything that was taken out of ill will, then I can see now from their perspective, the impact. So my intention didn't have his intended impact and now I can shift and change. So I love that. So asking those questions allows us to do reflection, allows other people to get different perspectives, broadens our awareness around what intent and impact is having on each other. So, you know, I love the word perspectives. Obviously we do these podcasts for that because we can gain different perspectives. And I think the way that you help us in your book um, helps us to identify questioning, effective questioning. And, and, and so everything that you've taught from a coach perspective, everything that you said today really started off with questions. And I love that. And so when we're sitting in seats of, as a senior decision maker, um, even in the decision that you were, we were trying to make um, in, in your team meeting with those executives, and you were just talking about how to get back to work and what's the new climate going to look like? What's our new culture going to be like? They were part of that decision making. And so as executives, I love that um, you put in a situation where they could better connect. Uh, yeah. I had in here to ask that question. How can our executive uh, leaders better connect with the employees? But I think that that example that you gave us uh, just a little while ago was a perfect example on the simplest uh, topics. Now, when you start moving up to the, some of those more complicated decisions where it does involve bottom line numbers, where it does involve, how, does, how do I uh, now transition or that same skill set and mindset as an executive to allow people to also be engaged with with those more complicated decisions. Do you have anything else to add to that, to that story, to those tips? Yeah, well, I, I would always go back to the benefit, and you know this, Valerie, of coming into an organization from the outside and the benefit to the organization is we don't know all the history. We don't know all the background. We don't know everything going in. They have that going on in their brain. And and it's there. And so um, when someone like uh, myself comes in to speak with an executive, I, I need that information. And one of the first questions I would ask with any decision a person has to make is uh, the old Stephen Covey, you know, begin with the end in mind. What ultimately are you trying to accomplish through this decision? And, and asking yourself that question, what is the target Ultimately, what are we trying to increase sales? Are we trying to um, cut labor? Are we trying to um, uh, whatever the case is, right? In, in the organization, what is the ultimate goal of that organization? And then talking through what are the options? 
what options are in front of you? So you could um, ask more of the people that you have. You could turn to some automation features. Uh, how are you going to get more sales? What are your what are the levers you can pull? You can do a marketing campaign. You can um, try to have your ticket average go up for each thing that you do sell, right? So there's different things you can do um, to accomplish that goal. And really what my job is to do as the executive coach is to get you thinking through that. And then when you think you've thought through all of those, I'll ask you what else, right? <laughs> and, and it kind of makes people's brain start smoking. You know, you can see that they're just like, oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know what else. And I might have an idea. I don't, and, and, um, and sometimes my ideas are good and they resonate and sometimes they don't, right? Because their organization is unique. But you, I continue to ask that question. What are your options? Okay, now let's think through. Let's play it out. What does that look like if you choose this option? What are the upside, the downside? Um, have the, the individual think through all of that. Um, do you have the um, uh, cred, the credit with your, the credibility with your team right now to be able to make that ask of them, right? That's a, that's a great question is, I understand you're the leader, but do you have the, the, um, uh, the credit in your account, I talk about that all the time, making deposits with your team, you know, are you making those emotional encouragement, positive deposits with them that gets that goodwill going so that when times come where you have to ask a little bit more than the normal, um, that you have that goodwill with the team, that they're willing to make the change or turn the direction or hit the goal um, that you're trying to hit. So, um, those are the questions that I would go through with a leader. And that's once again, why, why coaching is so good is that it's very focused in its approach. It's, it's like a, um, uh, you know, instead of a, um, this is a crude term, but instead of like a bomb, you know, and you, you, you get this big result, it's a very targeted, almost sniper approach, you know, where it's just this, you're hitting one target and one specific problem that you're addressing yeah. You're getting clarity on. You're moving forward, and um, and so that's that's why the coaching relationship is so good because you have the time and the space to to think through those questions. Wow, that's that was great, and I I have so much I would love to add to that, but our time is up. And I did want to just say thank you for this 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 opportunity. One of the things that you brought up that. Um, this had resonated, and I would like to leave it with our audience today, is that when you think about this whole, uh, the things that you gave us about being a leader, how we make our decisions, you think of that 80-20 rule, right? Where 80% of our time, and I, you know, I don't know that that's the right number. I think some statistics have been done that 80% of our time we um, spend trying to solve a problem. So you gave us different ways to spend that time because it's more asking the questions, identifying options, looking for people who can support it, looking for systems and processes that can support that we can change, we can add, we can enhance. And then that, oh, the 20% is actually solving for the problem, right? So if we could think as, as we're making decisions as executives that and put in that time to, to, to explore, to think, to engage, to contribute, to balance the tasks with the, with the people who are in it. And if you think about 80%, you talked about, you know, most of our time is gonna be getting it done through the people. We as executives have got to stop long enough to not have, spend all of our time, you know, trying to be the answer 
and 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 spend most of our time finding better answers um, that all of our workforce has for us. So yeah. I think those keys to successful leader executive leadership you have really helped. Uh, and I hope as those as we've listened um, and we re-listened to this podcast because it's you know this is one of those podcasts I think uh, Drew that you've given us enough tips and as we read their manual uh, that we're going to be able to um, really take away some real jewels um, in a, and put it in our toolbox. So um, thank you so much. And I know our time is, is is almost up, but I would like for you to just take a few minutes, share with our audience how we can get in touch with you if we need your uh, your coaching or even just to, to read and uh, access your book. Yes. Thank you, Valerie. So people can, uh, folks can find my book at the executive leaders handbook.com and they can download it absolutely free there. The oh, PDF version. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can get it for free or you can um, get the audio version for free there. Um, if you want a physical copy, whether hard or soft cover, you can get that at Amazon, the executive leaders handbook, just search it. It'll pop up. Um, if you're interested in coaching, you can reach out to me at uh, drewtjackson.com, uh, drewtjackson.com, or uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect on LinkedIn and um, Drew T. Jackson. Once again, you can find me there and we can uh, we can connect. I've got YouTube channel as well. I've got about 350 videos on my YouTube channel, wow. Drew T. Jackson. Yeah, so I've got stuff um, all the way from sales communication stuff, communication, leadership, uh, it's all all there, all free on uh, on YouTube, and, and folks can access that and and spend some time. I was talking to a guy, you know, videos I created years ago, and and a guy was talking to me yesterday about how he found them so beneficial for what he's facing today. And that's the great thing about that evergreen content on YouTube is people can access it anytime, day or night, that they need it, and it can benefit them. So any one of those ways, uh, check it out and, and uh, you know, message me on LinkedIn if we connect. I'd love to hear what you're going through and, and what you're focused on and, and we can have a conversation. Well, thank you for a great time and discussion around the keys to successful executive leadership with Drew T. Jackson. Please, please, please download his book. Uh, spend some time on those YouTube um, uh, channels and get and learn more about some of these tips. Thanks again. And we're going to sign off now. Thank you all for joining. Thank you for joining Perspectives, a podcast by Essence Learning LLC. Essence Learning is your solution to personal and professional development. We partner with our clients to develop a learning strategy that will increase productivity, enhance performance, and align with their purpose and goals. For more information visit us online at essencelearning.net or call us at 1-877-657-5755.